And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And we sure do love Fullscale. Uh, so today with us, we have, I, I feel very honored and I am even more excited than I usually am to talk to amazing women because our guest today, uh, we have a little bit of a history. Um, Nicole Sahin is a brilliant, brilliant individual. I've known her for a long, long time. Uh, she is founder and CEO of Globalization Partners, a global PEO. And we'll, we'll talk about what that is and what that means. But I am just so honored. And I, I, I hope you can hear the smile in my voice. But so honored and so excited to have Nicole here with us today. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. This is, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. Well, so let's let's get right down to it, because I, I have to tell you, you know, it's been a little while since we've connected and I've been following the um, meteoric rise of globalization partners, which is something else that we'll talk about. But why don't you tell tell our listeners a little bit about about your journey? How did you come to be the founder of Globalization Partners? Sure. Well, I'll give you a little background first as to what the company is to put the background into perspective. So what we do as a company, Globalization Partners is a global employer of record platform. So basically our clients, usually they're hire, they want to expand their teams internationally. And usually that's really hard and complicated to do because you'd have to figure out the laws and the tax rules and international business issues related to each country before you could start hiring people in any given country. And rather than having every company do that, they just reach out to us and they say, hey, there's this person I want to hire as a full-time employee in Brazil or Argentina or the UAE or Saudi Arabia or China or wherever, or all of those places. And we put their employees on our payroll in country. So basically, we have our own in-house infrastructure around the globe. They're legally our employees, but they're assigned to work on behalf of the client. So it, it eliminates the requirement for companies to have to, to have to figure out how to do business internationally. They can just do business internationally. Um, and we are, let's see, our company is about 260 people. I started the, right now, and we're trying to hire 50 before the end of the year. I started the company nine years ago, and um, we took our first round of minority investment with the $150 million round earlier this year. And uh, it's been fun. It's been a good ride. And we do business in 187 countries. So we're kind of everywhere at this point. I would, I would certainly say, I mean, it sounds like fun, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, I have seen you've just kind of hit milestone after milestone. And, and what's really interesting is I, I remember the early days of globalization partners. And I just remember the blood, sweat and tears that you put into this company. And so I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit 
about that piece of your journey? Like, what was it like to build a fast, such a fast growth, um, successful company? I mean, you've really, you know, I know that you were on the the Inc. Uh, the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies. You just had this this huge 150 million dollar announcement. Like all of these things seem to be just clicking. And so, so what was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, so I'll go back to the beginning, which is you know every every entrepreneur has the story of quitting their job and deciding to start a company. And my the way I like to describe that feeling is it feels like jumping off a cliff and hoping you're going to sprout wings. And in my case, I absolutely loved my job. You know, I just thought I had a better idea of how to help companies go global. It was a big idea, and I didn't know if we could make it work. Um, so I quit my job, went traveling, waited out my non-compete agreement and had a good time, um, went to 24 different countries and met with lawyers and tax advisors in each of those countries to figure out if it could work. And ultimately launched the company one year and one day after, after I left my prior company. So the day after the non-compete expired, and um, I think like in the early days, like there's well, first there's the 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 feeling of like the 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 delta between being compelled to do what you know you want to do versus the terror of like doing something that's completely irrational, which is giving up a really good job and throwing all caution to the wind to just go do something crazy. Um, and then, you know, once you get started, it really is putting one foot in front of the other and just literally one task at a time. So like, how do you build, how do you build a multi-billion dollar business? You do it same way you're going to build a small business. You know, one day you go incorporate a company and the next day you go open your bank account and the next day you build up your website, which I will say, and the next, the day before you set up your website, you call your friend Lauren, who uh, gives it a nice overhaul (laughs) (laughs) and says, this needs a real makeover, Nicole. We can do better. I mean, not everybody has a Lauren in their life, but concept understood. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how it's been really odd and really just supremely satisfying and incredible to watch this journey. Because, like, I remember, you know, being 15 years old and, you know, running around with you and, and like, you know, we were we were just really good friends. And then I remember, like, working on that first Globalization Partners website. And, I mean, it's just this this growth that you've experienced both as an individual and then organizationally has been, it's been a true joy to watch. Like I I'm so proud of you and I, I don't mean that to sound condescending, but like, I, I get really excited. I'm like, I know her, I know her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a joy to build a business. I mean, in, in my experience, like it is, it is hard, but you know, a lot of people say once you build your own business, you never go back to working for someone else. And I think there's something to be said for it truly is a creative process. And there's, there's a little, little bit of business and a whole lot of grit, but also a bit of artistry involved. And like the best part I think is that you get to be truly responsible for what you build. And yeah. in today's world, you know, I, it took a while for me to get to the point of thinking, like realizing that business doesn't have to be evil, that I really like it. It's a, it's like the best game and that yeah. there's great ways to change the world as a business person. And uh, that combination of things is kind of what, what has made it a joy and fun to build. 
Yeah, 99% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that 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 remaining 1% of the time, like those are the times where you just feel like, oh, God, I'm dying. This is awful. But it, it being able to take ownership of something that you're truly passionate about and something that you truly believe in, it's 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 a real honor. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about that, that game changing lens through which you, you view things, because I think, I mean, I, I have seen you throw yourself into so many impact driven things. Like, I mean, I, I remember you had a, a school that you set up for girls, um, internationally at one point, and you, you've just done so much good over the course of your lifetime. Um, you know, what does that what's your purpose? What is, what is the why behind the reason that you keep pushing forward? Interesting. Um, interesting question. I should say, I, I think for me, um, well, my mission in life, I think I have a few, but if I were to say, what is my purpose in life? One of them is to break down barriers between people around the globe And I fundamentally believed, you know, going back to when we were 19 and 20, Lauren, and hanging out in Turkey and Greece and places (laughs) like that, um, and backpacking, you know, and and then it wasn't very common for people to jump on planes and just go backpack around. And I think we were a little bit earlier to that. I mean, now it's like every, every Gen Z person has been everywhere. They're amazing. Um, But basically, you know, and I always thought that, and, you know, we grew up in, in, the Midwest, that if more people could travel and meet people who weren't like themselves, that they would, that their empathy would increase and they would be able to just see the world as a bigger place full of more, more uh, connectivity and more compassion for each other. And that basically global business is, it breaks down barriers between people. So we've worked with clients in like rural Texas who Literally, and this was a while back, you know, I think the world's globalizing quickly, but they'd say, I, I couldn't point to Malaysia on a map. And um, my employee, you know, I, I realized that they're, you know, or maybe take the Middle East, for example, you know, like they see this guy every day and they're doing video calls with him. And then one day his wife b- walks by in a hijab behind him. And they're just kind of stunned for a minute because they think, oh, my God, I thought that people who dress like that, like they're all terrorists and they hate women. And actually, they remember that this guy loves his wife. He talks about her very respectfully. He goes, picks up his kids from soccer every day. And it just kind of brings that awareness home that when you work with people from all over the globe, that we're all much more human than, you know, the news would have us believe. So that's one thing. And then second, um, I also just believe in in ethics and integrity through everything that we do. And I think it's totally possible to lead a business with ethics and integrity and to pay people well and to have good jobs and to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And I think that's a new paradigm for business, um, which, again, has gained momentum in the last few years. When I started the company on that ideal, not a lot of people had that mindset. A lot of people were like, wow, that sounds cool. And it's so obvious now in this day and age, um, the business roundtable of 500 500 of the company world's biggest CEOs got together in August of 2019, and they agreed that it is no longer all about the shareholder, that indeed businesses are responsible to all of the stakeholders in their business. And so the world's progressing quickly that businesses are obligated to do more than just um, 
and businesses are just one more way of making the world a better place. So I guess that's my mission is is to uh, make the better world a better place through anything that I do in any way that I can touch it, but most importantly, to connect people around the globe. Yeah, so, so you're making the world a better place and really you're making the world smaller. You're making it more accessible. Um, you know, when we, when we were, you know, spending that time backpacking around, I remember you were kind of my, you were my travel Sherpa. Um, you know, you were much more practiced at it and you were able to um, expose me. Like we had a lot of experiences that I think fall outside the normal tourist experiences. Um, and that's because of your deep ability to connect with people um, who who come from different cultures and people who come from different backgrounds. And, and you were able to kind of usher me very elegantly into, into a deeper understanding of, of global culture. And so the fact that you are helming this organization, um, I just... I just trust it, you know, because I just know what kind of person you are. Um, so, so I do want to talk to you a little bit about the mechanics of what mm-hmm. you do. Because I, I think that a lot of people, like they, they may have heard the term PEO, um, but there's not necessarily a, a really deep understanding of what that is and why that's a benefit. So, so the first thing that I want to ask you on that front is what does your ideal client look like? So our ideal client is any any company that wants to hire any employee outside their headquarters company, but doesn't want to set up a company. So the normal way of doing business internationally is if you want to hire an employee in the UK or Mexico, that you would have, for example, you would have to set up a company in that country before you could hire even your first employee. And once you set up a company, which could take three months or six months or a year, depending on the country, you would need to figure out the employment law in that country, run payroll in that country, set up benefits in that country, sign up for whatever union you're required to sign up for in that country, and just figure out so much legal admin and finance stuff related to incorporating in another country that it almost, it would take like a year for companies to figure out how to go into even one country. And with our business model, since we already have our own infrastructure and companies in all of these countries, it's already set up. So the client just identifies the talent and they say, we want to hire this person to be an engineer. And we just put them on our already existing payroll. And so basically it takes all of the planning, all of the risk of taking a company global off the client's shoulders and onto our shoulders, onto our legal infrastructure more specifically. So we're responsible for making sure that the employee is paid properly and that their employment contract is in line with whatever is legally required in that country, that they're paid on time, all of that stuff. And um, it literally, like at this point, we've digitized the entire company. So it's this global legal and finance infrastructure of companies all over the globe. And then we have software on top of it. So like the clients, all they have to do is go online and they build an employment contract for their employee. The employee gets the offer. If they have any HR issues come up, they log on through a help desk app and like ask our HR team person on the ground in country, you know, for any advice that they need. And it's all quite automated and digitized. Yeah. So, so it's really just as, as easy as humanly possible for companies to expand internationally. Yeah. And it didn't even exist. Like that business model did not exist 10 years ago. We had to like, we had to do like, you know how Uber, um, you know how Uber is like, 
they basically created a whole new industry and they have to like kind of railroad some of the laws in different countries in order to uh, make their business model work because like they're not a taxi, but they're kind of an app. And it's, it's similar to that is that we had to do that on a country by country basis to make this work. But at this point, it's illegal. It's a it's a generally accepted business model. Our biggest problem as a business is that nobody knows that this model exists still, but we're working on it. And um, I think that will change. It's already changing, but I think within a couple of years, this will be the most common way that companies expand internationally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it certainly sounds like it. It's kind of a, a one-stop shop for being able to affordably and efficiently grow um, and, and in a global economy in a, to grow in a way that is fitting with the rest of the world. So, so I love that. Um, so clearly, you know, your team members, you, you can't all be experts in 180 something countries in the HR law and the, you know, hiring practices yeah. and, you know, pay structures of all of these different countries. So do you have boots on the ground that you, that you work yes. with? What does that look like? Um, it, so it's HR people on the ground in, in each most countries, certainly our top like 50 countries, accountants on the ground in each country, or at least in the same region, speaking and writing the same language. Uh, it's a legal team all over the globe. And then from a headquarters perspective, it's like lawyers, tax advisors, um, you know, and a very strong executive team and a good technology team, because basically... Well, tech is involved with everything, right? Like it doesn't sound like a tech company, but at this point, everything is a tech company. So you better have a good CTO. Um, yeah. And I would say as a startup person, so since you, you have uh, people, so I started the company nine years ago and kind of going through this journey, things that I have found interesting personally. One thing is, is I think a company is a lot easier to run the bigger it gets. So like when it's small and it's just you and you're like one person running a business, it's pretty easy and fun. Um, when it's a few people and it's really good and you love everybody in the business, it's, it's pretty fun and really good. But by the time you get to 250, 300 people, if you have a really strong executive team and the company is stable, it's so much easier to run the business. It's so much, I find it so much easier, frankly, because you have more people doing the work and the infrastructure in place. So that's been a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, well, and I, I feel like, you know, people who start up companies, sometimes they, they don't even necessarily know this going into it, but you kind of have to be a, a jack of all trades, master of none, because you're, you're doing everything, you know, you're, you're doing the marketing and you're building the website and you're, you know, building the revenue models and you're, you're doing everything all yourself and you're powered by just this passion and this belief. But I feel like, you know, once you reach a certain point, um, it's got to be a lot easier to have people who can specialize and people who can take those things off of your plate and people who are, are experts in their given areas of expertise. Um, so that, that's got to be just a huge weight off your mind, knowing that you have the best team and the best people um, just ready and willing to do what they do best. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so going along with that, um, this is actually, this is something that I wanted to talk to you about. So I, I have heard and I have seen, and I have directly experienced you as a, as a boss, as a leader. Um, and I want to talk to you about your management style, because I think you bring something really special to the table. And one of those very special things that you bring to the table is empathy. 
as a leader, but I want to talk to you about the other things that you think are important um, to be a good leader. Like, what do you personally try to embody as you lead this team that is growing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a few components of, to that, and some some are like the nice side and some are the not so nice side. And I think that that goes to the delta between what you said, like sometimes you're the boss and sometimes you're the leader. So, and you have to be both, right? Because you could just be a leader and a leader to me is somebody who is inspirational and leads people to greatness and, uh, and to do more than, than you ever imagined possible. I mean, like, and I think that to be a good leader, your job is to hire the absolute best people that you can find it, let them do their jobs and inspire them. Um, and then there's the part about being a boss, which is also important because at the end of the day, I think the thing about being a CEO is like your job in those, in those 1% moments when it's like the hard part, it's basically your job is to make the decisions that absolutely no one else wants to make, you know? And when, when, when it hits the fan, it's your job to fix it and clean it up um, or make the, make the hard decisions again, that are just brutal and nobody wants to make. Um, but basically I think the most important things are choosing a really strong team and unfortunately being able to make decisions as to when people are no longer the right fit in the role. And I think that that's a really challenging component of being a founder and CEO of a high growth company, because the same people who help build a company to 100 people and then 100 people to 200 people and then above 200 people are not the same people. And if you're the founder and CEO, the only thing consistent there might be you plus a few people <laughs> um, right. because it's such a different skill set. It's such a different skill set to be a startup person where everybody's super passionate and in up to their elbows and they love doing everything as compared to one person with one job who's a specialist in that job. And the same people who love building startups, I'm, I think I'm a startup person at heart. Like I love that, but the same, that. yeah, but the same people who like love that they're going to get frustrated with the company when it's 260, 300 people. And they're just like, God, you know, like it's, it's more bureaucratic than it used to be. So I think the trick is, is to be able to make hard decisions, manage kindly and with empathy, including when you have to make changes and do it with consideration and compassion for all people involved, but make sure, make sure you do that work and do it well, but also to lead people in and inspire them. Because in my experience, if you hire the right people, they take your vision so much further than you could ever get there on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I feel like that was a, a lovely little sound bite. I want to pull that out and I want to put it on my like t-shirt. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so so talk to us talk to us about this like clearly you're a great leader you're a great boss um and again i speak from from personal experience um but talk to us about how you identify those people like how do you build how do you build a strong team you know and i it varies from stage to stage but i think that there are probably some commonalities that that come through like what are you mm -hmm. looking for yeah, I look for really strong, smart, data-driven people who are capable of being good leaders in their own domains and also capable and competent at working across teams uh, who are able to communicate well and also have the same mindset that I do. 
And that mindset, again, is like hire really good people and let them do their jobs, but be super, super driven, super organized and make sure everybody knows who's doing what. So um, like in my team, I'm not a super, I know what needs to be done and I know what the vision of the company is. And I'm happy to set out goals that we need to attain on a periodic basis and, and like tell the team what needs to be done. But I hire around something I'm not a big fan of, which is like detailed project management. And so that's my COO's job is she like coordinates with each executive and makes sure that people are actually doing their delivering according to deadlines that like everything's managed and she runs a whole project management team to like get stuff, get stuff done as compared to just saying, here's what we want to do and here's where we're going. Um, but building a good team, I think comes down to like just setting the tone. Like we, like I don't, we have a, we have a no jerks policy. We've always had a no jerks policy. Um, and like screening for that all the way through the organization. And when somebody can't comply with that, we just move them out of the organization and because it's not a fit. Yeah. And that's got to having that kind of policy and not only that policy, but trust that that policy will be enacted. I'm sure that that builds up a lot of goodwill within your team, because then you, you know, you have people who are committed to not just what they do, like the, the particulars of whatever their job may be, but you have people who are committed to that culture that you're creating. So, so what are, speaking of culture, like what are some of the hallmarks of your company culture? Like we've talked about you as a leader, we've talked about what you look for, but what, what culture are you fostering? Um, I think we have a culture of getting things done. So very efficient, very effective, we have a culture of responsiveness. Uh, we also have a culture of, like, we know that sometimes things will go wrong or not get missed. But in general, like, we give each other the benefit of the doubt. We know that, like, if there's anybody on the team who, like, people get back to each other and they are just responsive, effective. There's not, like, politicking and backstabbing because it's kind of like everybody knows who's doing what. They deliver on time. It's kind of like a well-run machine but I think the tone is very positive. Um, it's very inclusive. I think the thing that the thing that most people really like about the company is the very human centric element. So we like just since COVID, for example, we do a lot of events. Um, we do like the moth story hour at GP where people are dialing in from all over the globe and telling a story, some story from their lives. And it's really cool to kind of see that it's better than your typical virtual happy hour. Because then people are storytelling and, and uh, you hear about someone's yeah. life in the Middle East or in Singapore or wherever. Um, like Thursday, we're doing Rockstar Awards, which was where everybody in the company got to nominate somebody for a spot bonus. And so we're giving out the top 25 awardees. And in, in a since it's called, we called it the Rockstar Awards, we're giving out the awards, but also everybody's dressing up like a rock star. So it'll be 6 a.m. because that's what time for me works with our Singapore and India team. It's the best yeah. time zone. And I will be in a pink wig and uh, dealting out some rock star awards. Of course you will. I, I'm not at all surprised by that. <laughs> like that's, that's just very on brand for you. Um, yeah, no, that, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so, so let me ask you this, because I, you, you, you touched on it just a teeny tiny bit. Um, well, you said the word and I know that, inclusion, um, proactive diversity amongst your team. That's really important to you. And I've seen that I've heard you say that and I've seen that in practice. So why is why is that important to you? Why is that one of your core values? Yeah, I mean, I think 
um, well, I think as a company, it's part of what we do is like by, by inherently what we do is we connect people from around the globe. We are inherently diversifying their team. I think the statistics show that companies um, perform better when they're diverse. But more importantly, like it's just like part of what I think every leader needs to do is make sure that they are. I think it's I think it's one of the coolest responsibilities as a CEO is that you're responsible for people's you're responsible for society in in the way that you, you actually have any hiring manager has access to. They have responsibility for who gets work and what's more important than making sure the equal opportunity for work is spread equitably through our society. We, that's probably our best means of correcting historic wrongs in our society. And um, I mean, to say why it's important to me, I think that says it all. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that one of the, you, you said it earlier, and I, I firmly believe this to be true, but there's a lot of artistry involved in building a business. And one of the great things about that, that inclusion piece and making sure that you have a bunch of different perspectives at the table is that you, you get to flex that creativity a little bit more because you're, you're bringing more ideas to the table. Um, and so, so I, I just, I love that that is a, that that's a priority of yours. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I really admire the the lens through which you view building a team. So, so I'm going to ask you kind of a, I don't know. Well, actually, you know what? I want to ask you this question and I meant to ask you it earlier. I'm just going to ask it now. How many countries have you been to? I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. I really need to count. I don't know I if I've ever counting like ever. 10 years ago at like 50 something. Um, <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. yeah. I need to get on that a lot. Okay. A lot. So that, that was just a random interjection that I wanted sure. to remember to ask you because it's one of those things where I'm like, I wonder, I wonder, you know, yeah. I, I know it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, so that out of the way, I feel much better now. Um, <laughs> now, now, now let's get back into it. So, so one of the things that you mentioned is how you're kind of adapting through COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I cannot imagine that your industry and your organization haven't been affected. What are, mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that you've been affected and what are some of the ways that you are working to circumvent or pivot or, you know, apply a creative lens to, to that? Yeah. So it's been super interesting. I mean, I would say the first thing that it was just a shock to the system, right? I mean, in March, I think we all kind of were looking at each other, like what is going on? And uh, that is at least in the United States when this came, you know, suddenly like the reality hit of like, this is major and people are going to get really sick. Um, We have offices so our team, as I mentioned, 260 people. I would say there's probably 80 in the United States. Um, and then some of our biggest offices besides that are Mexico City, Indoor India, and then people everywhere. Like we've got people everywhere. So anyway, um, but as you can imagine, so Mexico and India, neither of them have work from home culture very often. And, you know, Mexico is super social. Like we have a great office in downtown Mexico City. It's beautiful and like it's super social society. It's just lovely. I love Mexico, by the way. Um, And uh, they like going to work every day. But guess what? They have to take public transportation to get to work. And so it's like super dangerous. And the government there kind of like 
just that we can't shut down and we can't really do much with this. And, and so there's not much we can do. And similarly, India, um, I'm sure everybody saw, like they just sent, like they're, they tried to keep it in check, but the bottom line is everybody has to protect themselves. So I made the decision to shut down all of our global offices and have people work from home. I did not know how that would work in India and Mexico City specifically, since it is such an office place culture. Um, but basically, it turns out it works out pretty well. And like the team is very happy because they respect and appreciate that we're not asking them to put their lives at risk. We've been working from home since March, and uh, I just extended that through the end of April next year because it's basically I don't see this going away anytime soon. So the company's gone totally virtual in a very unexpected way. Um, and we're performing really well. Beyond that, I think from a sales perspective, revenue slowed down, you know, new client acquisitions slowed down for a few months. But basically now, I think companies have kind of figured out like what they're going to do post COVID. And in the long term, I do think the trend towards remote work and global globalization are just going to be accelerated by COVID. And companies want to get revenue wherever, wherever they can. And uh, since people can't fly all over the globe to go close deals and do business now, they need to hire local people wherever they are. So ultimately, you know, I hate to say this will ultimately be a positive trend for our business, but the company's safe, secure, doing well, and um, we'll be fine coming out of this. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's so... I have to, I have to admit, like, it, it's very impressive, but it was also a little surprising. You made your $150 minority investment announcement, like right in the thick of COVID-19. And I, I, I don't think I, I, sh I should have been surprised. Um, but that being said, I mean, what an interesting time to receive that kind of investment. Um, talk yeah. to us a little bit about what that process looked like for you. Cause I, I know that we have some listeners who are just, you know, they hear that and they're like, ding, ding, ding. That's what I want. <laughs> totally. So I bootstrapped the company for nine years. Um, we are very fortunate in that the company has a recurring revenue model um, that made that possible. And um, I think just somewhat unbelievably lucky. And uh, so it, it's, it's, it's highly unusual. The, the purpose to um, get the funding was our European and Asian expansion and technology investment. And also, frankly, just to have some other investors around the table, because there comes a point, I'm, I'm, I know Globalization Partners will be a multi-billion dollar company within five years, and that we haven't even scratched the surface of how big we're going to be. So we will be a couple thousand employees within five years all over the globe. And there yeah. comes a point where you don't want to be, you know, the, the sole, you know, you know, like there's a point of growing up that I think is important that um, it's nice to have other people who have run companies of that size around the table and uh, other people having skin in the game and kind of vetting the business. So um, actually, we closed the round in January of this year and then COVID hit in March. And um, actually, our investors said they were very happy to have given us the money because uh, I think the company's doing well and they've been surprised. They're like, it's a, they, they think we're one of the best run companies they've ever invested in. Not see again, very on brand, not shocked. Um, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, it's I mean, not, my COO, she's a total rock star and keeps us super. Yeah. Ordered. Well, and I, I love like one of the things that you're really, really great at is making sure that your team feels valued and making sure that they get the acknowledgement that they deserve. But let's go ahead and just say that the full 
seen had some hand in that. <laughs> so congratulations. Um, so, so what has been, what's been the biggest obstacle to your success? What's the, been the hardest thing for you to overcome? Um, yeah, I think the hardest thing, God, I mean, I had some sleepless nights around finding the right people at the right time. I mean, that's definitely the one thing I think that especially now we're much more in flow and we're just growing and, and like everything's in place. But there were definitely times in the early days where I was like sweating it. Like it was really hard to find a CFO who could keep up with a company at our pace of growth in so many international companies. And it was like looking for, I mean, like needle in a haystack. Same with our CTO, like waiting to find the right people when you desperately need to fill a seat is probably the most nerve wracking thing you can do. However, it cannot be rushed. I actually believe that hiring people is kind of like dating where you know when you know and when you aren't sure, you feel a little something in the pit of your stomach, like you absolutely, even if you need to hire somebody, you know what I mean? Like no matter what, you just absolutely shouldn't until you're really confident. And uh, I'd say that is probably the the biggest hurdle or cause of stress is, is meeting people and not being able to find the right people, but knowing you have to wait. Yeah. All right. I, I actually, I'm going to take things in a different direction and I don't usually ask questions like this, but I'm really interested to hear your answer. So, so you just talked about like a, a source of stress. How do you, how do you mitigate stress? How do you minimize stress in your life? Like what's your self-care? I'm super curious. Hmm. Um, my self-care is really good actually. Like, I mean, so since COVID it's changed because I used to run around, I mean, I was on a plane like nonstop and having a, having a pretty fabulous time. But uh, yeah. like things have had to slow down naturally because we are being quite conservative with regards to exposure to COVID. So I haven't been on a flight, you know, really staying pretty close to home and being pretty chill. So um, since then, like what I'm, I, I, I'm not great at like sitting still all day or sitting in front of a computer all day. So what I started doing is going on about two hours of jogging a day and taking my conference calls while I'm doing that. And that enables me to take calls and jog uh, yeah. and burn off some energy. And so I'm probably one of the few people who's getting more fit coming out of COVID instead of less as a result. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Sarah, are you telling me that like, as you're talking to people on the phone, you're just like, hey guys, hey guys, how's it going? Like, are, are you doing that? Or are you able to keep your breathing kind of measured? And I'm able like to keep my breathing pretty in check. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> they don't know. Well, I, they don't know I'm jogging unless I tell them. Yeah. Okay. No, they don't think they would know. Yeah. That's impressive. That's some background. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, you got to work with what you got. I I, was I mean, I totally, I firmly believe that. But I got to tell you, like, if I were to try that, like, I tried walking desks, and like, you could just totally, you could feel my footfalls, like, with my voice. Like, I'm just not good at modulating that, like, at all. Yeah. Uh, that's that's super impressive. Well, I can't function <laughs> sitting still all day. So that's my, you know, downfall. So, yeah. well, in um, case, yeah. So, but besides that, like, I mean, I'm just like a normal person. Like, I hang out with my friends, I go for hikes, and um, yeah, I don't know. My self care is pretty good, actually. Well, and I, I think, um, and I, I imagine that this is probably the case um, still, but like, I just remember that you were always really good about setting like boundaries around around that like yeah. not to the like not to the you know 
exclusion of things that you needed to do. But you, yeah, like you were always really good about making sure that you were taking time to experience things and yeah, you know, totally. find, find that life outside of work. So it's good to hear that you're still doing that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, Super important. And also it was yeah. the point of life if not to enjoy it, right? Like that's the point. Well, hell yeah. So, so we're, we're coming up on the end of time here and I'm, I'm going to ask the fun question here in just a second, but um, I do want to ask you one more thing. Cause I, I just think you have so much wisdom to share um, with, with our listeners in particular. So is there one thing, one piece of advice that you would give an entrepreneur who is just starting out or having a tough time? Like what's the, what's the nugget of wisdom that Nicole Sahin wants to share? Ooh, I want to. Because <laughs> I'm going to pass on what other people have told me. Um, the first piece, uh, first nugget of wisdom, and I got this from a, a lawyer when I was considering taking a co-founder nine years ago. And he told me, Nicole, the only ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. <laughs> only ship that doesn't float is a partnership, something like that. And I was like, damn, you know what? You're right. I'm spending so much time and energy figuring out who owns what. And it's total bullshit. This is my idea. I'm going to do it. And that was the end of that conversation. And, you know, and that was great. Um, Okay. And then my second piece of advice. Oh, I think it's really just go for it. Like the only thing that's ever held me back is myself. You know what I mean? Like people talk about how um, women have so much trouble and and can't get access. And yeah, I, I can see it. You know what I mean? And like, but actually more the story that I, if I've ever told myself some story about like, I shouldn't do this because I'm worried about perception. I'm actually just getting in my own way. And of course, I've encountered sexism in business and stuff like that. But guess what? Those are the people I don't hire or choose to do business with. And then I move on with my life. Like, And um, the, the only time anything has gotten in my way is when I've gotten in my own way. And I've found that I'm more capable, capable of doing more than I ever thought possible. And to just get on with it and do the work is probably the best component of advice there. And well, those are those are two very sage pieces of wisdom. I do have to say that the partnership line that feels like such a dad joke, but yes. I appreciate it. It's not that's not necessarily a bad thing, but definitely you know, we're we're bordering in dad joke territory with that. That's one. hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but so so final question. Here's the fun question, and you and I actually let you cheat a little bit. I I, I gave you a heads up on on the question that you would like to answer, but I love this question, so this is great. Um, so if you were having a dinner party and you could invite anyone living or dead, who would you want to sit at the seat of honor at your dinner table? Oh man, I didn't think about living or dead, but I did think oh. that for whatever reason. For whatever reason, I just think it would be really fun to have Elton John at a dinner party because I saw that movie recently about his life. And like that guy looks like a good time. Like he knows how to have fun. Like you would just never know what he'd show up wearing or doing or whatever. So I I can take care of the conversation and the rest of the guests, but that guy would just be a riot to have around. And I mean, failing all else, and we know that he would be super interesting, but at the very least, if you had a piano around, he would play the crap out of that thing. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a low risk, high reward there. Uh, no, I love that. <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you so much. I am, I, I have to tell you, and I, I'm going to gush for a second, um, but knowing you um, for as long as I have and getting to see 
your evolution as a human being, as a business leader. Um, it has been, it's been a trip really. Like it's kind of, it's like, sometimes it kind of messes with my mind where I'm just like, I cannot believe this is the same person that, you know, we used to go to like Elma, Elma Gay for like margaritas and stuff like, like this is the same person. Thanks. Um, yeah. But I mean, it has been a real, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. And, and thank you so much for spending this time with us today. I'm just, I'm very grateful. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And it has been an honor also to witness you and your evolution with your organization and your startup podcast and all the cool things that you do to support diversity and uh, entrepreneurship. So I'm very well, happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm about to cry. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, so thank you. Thank you, dear listeners. Uh, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We are grateful that you choose to sit here and spend some time with us. Please bear in mind, you can find us on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast or check out our YouTube channel. We will catch you again soon. Thanks so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.